0: Welcome
1: to Silicon Valley Insider. It's Keith Koo, and this is a special show where I'm actually in the greater Shanghai region at the European and American High Tech Projects Roadshow and Exchange. My host is Wendy Yang, who's the president of the Zion Shanghai Investment Company. Hi, Wendy.
2: Hello, Casey.
1: And, you know, what's really important about this week I'm in China, especially given the rising tensions between the USA and China in regards to tariffs, in regards to international trade, I want to really demonstrate and show that there's a lot of people still trying to figure out how to make it work in spite of that and for the better of both our countries and our both our ecosystems. So Wendy has a very special skill set. She's not only a super connector, but she's really focused on win-win outcomes between the companies she represents and local governments whether it's the United States or China. So Wendy, I really wanted to thank you again for inviting me to be here.
2: Well, it's my pleasure. So I'm also uh, I'm actually I'm very happy so I can meet her all, all over the uh, country, the friends come to Shanghai, so I'm so happy.
1: Right. And, and Shanghai is the place of my ancestors, so I always love coming here. Mm. So Wendy, We're doing this event, and I know that there are some challenges or apparent challenges between doing business between the United States and China, but this has been really powerful. We've spoken to a lot of investors, startups, and local officials. What do you think is how we're still all going to work together? What do you think is the secret behind that?
2: Uh, so firstly, so some people uh, feel now uh, we we meet uh, a different uh, challenging between ch- China and uh, American. So uh, now my job is find some best solution to help American company to come to China to develop their market and their business. So I think uh, now it, uh, now the market for. For the for the uh, technology is the most important. So you know, China is the huge market for for America for American technology. So now I I think uh, even you are startup company, even you are very early stage company. So uh, come to China if, if you can meet me. So you still can find some best solution. So just like we can uh, give you some government. Uh, Good policy and a government fund. Also, we can find some local local fund to help you. So, uh, this local fund maybe also you uh, also uh, they are your business partner. They are they are your market. So, we can find a uh, different way to support your business in China.
1: Right. I think that's great. So, with the size of the Chinese market, so we talk at a consumer level, it's five x what the consumer level in the United States is. If you have a technology company and you have an idea that crosses not just the United States, but globally, that there are incentives and there's ways to come to countries like China. And you and Zion, Shanghai Investment Company, are specialists at bringing those ideas, bringing those companies over. Mm, Yeah. So then, I know you do a lot of work with the Stanford Research Institute, what are your feelings about um, companies that start off with research, and then what are their challenges, successes involved with that?
2: Uh, you know, so the startup company is very early stage; they need uh, a huge market. So, what kind of market is fit for this technology? I think this is very, very important. So, you you know, uh. Now China developed very fast, so you you cannot see you cannot say uh China ha- haven't uh, uh, tech high technology, but what kind of technology is fit for Chinese market? I think this is uh, 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 mo- most important to to find a s- solution. So, uh, for example, uh, now in China the chips, the chips, uh, the government is very. Uh, here this technology so uh, they want to uh, develop uh, the technology belong to china so uh, if if your technology is there for the, for the chip so uh, we, we will we will find uh, a lot of uh, different market to fit for you so depend on your chip is your chips is fit for uh, what kind of field? Route. Right. So, uh, and we will do some research. Help you do some research and uh, find uh, the. Uh, for example, this city, uh, the industry is fit for this chip technology develop. Then I will bring you go to this city.
1: Yeah, I think in a lot of conversations that I have with investors, both Chinese and American, I think that that's really a good example is that the chips get a lot of interest because depending on the technology, there might be some concerns over what technology is inside the chip. And that applies to whether you're in the United States, China, Israel, etc. But I think there are... Ways of following a process to see that if you're a chip company that wants to do business with China, what are the ways to do that in a safe manner to make sure that all sides and regulations are followed?
2: yes yeah, So uh, now for us, it's a, uh, the big challenge is the so uh, you know the security. Yes. So, uh, yes, so it's some some problem is very sensitive. So now I cannot cannot mention that. So but you know for because uh, we cooperate with the. SRI, so but they still very conf, confidence for that because China is very huge market. So uh, if we we find the the, the fit market and find the finder, the uh, fit situation, we still can transfer trust the technology. Right. So uh, that's why uh, we we have to communicate more, so we have to learn each other So, in the future. So uh, I think uh, we still can find uh, a lot of chance to cooperate together. Thank you.
1: And I, I think this applies not just to doing business between the Chinese and the United States, but what we talk a lot about on, on Silicon Valley Insider is that as business becomes more rapid, the pace of technology changes. There are more and more regulations and laws. And having the experts such as you and your company with Zion, Shanghai Investment Company, that you can actually help companies trying to bridge, trying to come over to, um, say, the Chinese jurisdiction or uh, find a way of vetting whether your technology can be transferred over or not, that is uh, a very smart move for companies to consider when developing the technology
2: yes now this uh, next year I plan to build a bridge the bridge is to uh, cooperate with the Shanghai uh local technology government so they they give us some team for professor come from different area so uh, when we when we bring the technology come to china so firstly they will give us some uh, suggestion so uh, this technology is fit for which ki- which kind of the field so then we we can go ahead for second second step because these associates belong to government, uh, they based in Shanghai, but uh, they uh, they cooperate with Jiangsu and uh, Zhejiang province. So you know, Jiangsu is province, Zhejiang is province. They there are uh, a lot of cities, you know. So uh, so uh, w- a city cannot fit, and we can trust to uh, the B city. Right. So the first, firstly, is depend on. What kind of technology fit for uh, what kind of the industry? So, now firstly, we needed a professor to decide that.
1: Yeah. So, just to summarize, and thanks again, Wendy. Wendy Yang, president of Zion Shanghai Investment Company, and their company helps determine uh, the right fit for companies exploring doing business in China. And I think it becomes more and more important with the types of conversations we're having, the uh, perception of tariffs and challenges between doing business between the two companies, that having the right resources to make sure you're doing it in a compliant manner becomes important. So thanks again, Wendy, for being here.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: And I look forward to spending the rest of the week in the greater Shanghai area. If you have any questions or comments or want to get a hold of Wendy, you can email us at info at svin.biz, and we'll be right back.
0: For questions or comments on today's program, call one 888 828-7846. That's eight 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 two 828 svin Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Ku. Hey,
1: Insiders, it's Keith Koo. Welcome back to my show where this week I'm visiting the greater Shanghai region with an economic trade mission. In our first segment, we had Wendy Yang, president of Zion Shanghai Investment Group, and she was talking about how even with the climate of tension between the U.S. and China in trade, that there's still many groups actively looking at doing business and even still looking at the innovations. So next, I have a very special guest, Deborah Magid, who is the Director of Strategy for IBM Ventures. Welcome, Deborah. Hi. Thanks, Keith. And Deborah is spending the entire week also on this trade mission, and I wanted Deborah to take a few minutes to introduce herself and what she's been doing.
3: Yeah, sure. I have the most fun job in IBM, I think, and maybe in a lot of other companies because it's kind of unusual. I handle relationships with venture capitalists and angel investors all over the world on behalf of our high-growth business units. You know, you probably know what high-growth business units are these days in software, AI, analytics, cybersecurity, Internet of Things, and so forth. It's a completely global job, and I get to meet all the people who are doing cool new things.
1: So, Deborah... I think you know IBM has had certainly over I think close to 100 years over 100 years of history how long has that relationship been with other countries such as China
3: We've been in China doing business for many many decades Uh, It's not a new set of relationships, and it's not a new um, market for us. So we have people uh, from headquarters who come here and and from other parts of the business, and we have a lot of Chinese nationals who work for IBM. We have thousands of employees today in China.
1: Yes. And um, I remember just a few seconds ago you were talking about having the most fun job. (laughs) So what technologies are you particularly interested in on this trip?
3: Well, on this trip, you know, I think you know and your uh, listeners know that uh, China has quite a reputation in artificial intelligence. And in fact, the trade mission has asked us to speak about how AI is empowering new things like the, the factory of the future. And so I'm particularly interested in what the view of AI is here and what kinds of new things are being developed. It's one of the things I spend a lot of time on anyway.
1: Yeah, and, and today we've got a tour of one of the business parks. Was there anything that jumped out on you in terms of how the Chinese are implementing technology versus what you're used to seeing?
3: It was a little hard to tell because uh, a lot of the things we saw were from bigger players who were housed in the tech park. Right. And we did go to an innovation center, but we didn't really get to talk to any of the startups who were there. So I'm reserving judgment until we uh, go to Tangshan.
1: Yeah, we'll be a little bit later in the week. Yeah. So, Deborah... What other things beyond artificial intelligence are you seeing pop up?
3: In China or generally? You can do either. You know, there, there are mm-hmm. things that, where AI is an underlying technology and intersects with other technologies and therefore powers other kinds of businesses. So, for example, I mentioned the Internet of Things, which is also very big in China and is very big for IBM as well. And the uh, technologies like blockchain... And artificial intelligence are really very important in in how you manage IoT networks and devices and make sense out of them.
1: Yeah, and as we discussed uh, before doing the show, Jerry Cuomo of IBM's blockchain group, um, head of the research, we talked about this exact use case where blockchain, as it scales, as it has um, new functions, new technologies related to the blockchain. IoT is a perfect use case for that. And I think, uh, as we saw at this summit we're at, I had a a number of Chinese investors, Chinese companies come up to me and say, well, you do know that China is um, right now currently not keen on blockchain. I said, actually, no, I don't think that's true. I think what China is really not keen on is the run-up of cryptocurrency. That's
3: absolutely correct. That is absolutely correct. And you'll see Chinese startups and Chinese businesses using blockchain for various scenarios and various use cases. It was crypto, specifically in Bitcoin, that the Chinese government was making statements about.
1: Exactly. And so getting into the guts of the technology behind blockchain and distributed ledger, um, I know know of many use cases where the Chinese are not um, just okay with it, they're actually embracing it and actually looking into those technologies. In
3: IoT, for example. You right. know, Because you have a network of devices, they're passing information along from one to the next and then it's being collected by a human or by another machine and there's got to be some way to know what information is going where and from where and how it's to be trusted is a perfect use case.
1: Yeah, and that's why um, part of why I'm here, I'm representing also the Samata protocol, which is in the right. works, and that's a reputation-based blockchain where reputation's at the core, and that could be not just humans but can also be devices and virtual devices. That's
3: right, and in fact, uh, you know, IBM does a lot of work uh, with blockchain and supply chain, which is a use case that's not unique to IBM, but. Um, There are uh, sensors and RFID tags and all kinds of devices along a supply chain that is used to track the goods. And then blockchain manages that. And so, you
1: know, these things all intersect. Absolutely. So this is just the beginning of our trip. And we were talking about Tongsheng later in the week. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things you think we're going to see there? I know you're reserving judgment, but what are some of the things you're looking forward to I, I've heard
3: it's very beautiful, <laughs> and I always like to combine business with pleasure. In fact, if you travel as much as I do, one ought to do that. So I'm looking forward to that. But we we're supposed to uh, meet a number of government officials and a number of startups. We we're supposed to visit some office uh, incubator parks and so forth. And I love, I love seeing people in their own environment. Because it's different than reading about it or talking to people on the phone. You you get a whole different sense of how people live and work and what they think about.
1: And since you brought that up and you said earlier that you get to travel the world, what are some of the um, things you notice the differences in culture in the business world between a country like China and U.S. in regards to technology.
3: Yeah, well, I live in Silicon Valley. I'm not sure I mentioned that before. And so that, of course, is a unique environment unto itself. And uh, I think, you know, those of us who live there often get a little insulated from what's going on in the rest of the world, which is why I like to travel, because it, uh, it gives you a better lens on what's going on. And uh, one of the things I talk about when I travel in Southeast Asia or in Europe or elsewhere is... Um, how, how startups behave? You know, what's the difference between a startup and an SME, which governments need to understand? Yes. Even the Chinese government needs to understand this. And, uh, what, you know, what does it mean to be a high growth startup? What does, what does hyper growth mean? What does it mean to be ambitious? What does it mean to take risk? What does it mean to put yourself really out there and, and go all in on something? And the, the cultural differences in those things are actually pretty great.
1: Yeah, I I think uh, one thing we bring up on our show over and over again is that the secret to the Silicon Valley, uh, where you and I both started, is that once upon a time, Intel days, IBM days, um, even Apple, Mm -hmm. you know, thought leadership, great access to capital, um, great university system and free flow of ideas, but also really what's unspoken is at the time the lack of true regulation. Yes. And then now we're living in blockchain, fintech, insurtech, health tech, and all of those have more and more regulations that startups in particular have to really be cognizant of. So I do think that in terms of the business climate in a country like China, where innovation is happening very rapidly, the stuff that they don't have regulations, just the regulations are um, a little bit different, enforced a little bit different. And so I think there is this thought that in some technology like AI, because um, privacy laws are different in China than the U.S., yes, certainly <laughs> they, they they can actually um, speed up innovation
3: to some extent. That's true. I mean, certainly the Chinese government has the ability to make things happen in a certain way if they wish to do that. Whereas we have to deal with you know all kinds of regulators exactly. and agencies and you know politics and Congress and all of that. It does slow things down. But the things I've observed, not just in China but in, in the U.K. and in France and in the United States, is that People who are, are really entrepreneurial and, are, and want to change the way things are happening, they'll go do these things anyway. Right. I was speaking at a fintech conference in uh, a, a small dinner for fintech CEOs uh, a couple of years ago in London, and everyone wanted to ask me, you know, how is this even happening? You know, how are we, how are we doing this peer-to-peer lending? How, how are these companies doing cross-border trades? We don't even know what the regulations are. And I said, that's right, you know, and they'll catch up and people will do what they have to do and so a, I think it's a common theme that you know we were talking about drones you talked to Edgar about drones it, the the regulations will catch up but they don't start with that right. what starts are the entrepreneurs doing these new innovative things
1: right well Deborah, thank you so much for joining us on this trip and also being on my show I look forward to future insights with you so please come on back I
3: know I'll see you again I plan on it
1: so once again, Keith Q Silicon Valley Insider, joined by Deborah McGee, Director of Strategy for IBM Ventures. And if you have questions or comments about what you heard on today's show, email us at info at svin.biz. And we'll be right back.
0: For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Ku.
1: Hey, Insiders, welcome back to the show. It's Keith Kuh of Silicon Valley Insider, reporting from the greater Shanghai area of China. Today's show is a special report on a trade mission I'm with, with um, a number of U.S. companies, partners, municipal and local government officials in working together in spite of the tariffs and the tensions between USA and China on the trade side, that there's still many folks committed to figuring out how things can work, should work, and how we move forward. Joining with me today is the CEO of Aeronide, Edgar Munoz. Hi, Edgar.
4: Hey, thanks for having me, Keith.
1: So Edgar is going to be here all week with me as part of this economic mission. And Edgar is with a startup, Aeronide, which is a UAV and Edgar can probably explain what a UAV is better than I
4: can. Yeah, it's an unmanned aircraft vehicle or aerial vehicle.
1: And Edgar's company is really innovative in the space. I think they have 86 patents pending. Yes, sir. And um, they're from Florida. And I wanted to talk a little bit why Edgar decided to come on this trip. So, Edgar, what brought you here?
4: Well, um, we're part of IBM's previously known as the Global Entrepreneur Program, now the uh, Startup Program, and we were invited by Andrew Kreckler, our Startup Liaison, to actually come out here and have the opportunity to meet with government officials, investors, and whatnot from the Asia-Pacific market, which we thought was an incredible opportunity for a startup like ourselves.
1: Yeah, and it's incredible the amount of work your company's already done in the space, and we'll have to do a much broader show in the future to talk about all the different types of use cases and technologies that... Aeronite is being involved with. But I think, again, back to this delegation, mm-hmm. economic mission, we had talked about, um, before the show started, some of the very specific things that are being helpful in a, in a cross-border China-USA discussion, because uh, what many people don't think about, what we talk about on our show a lot, is in the startup world today, there's just so much innovation happening, but also, in addition to that, lots of regulations, and I can imagine that although you've done so much work in the Western world, USA,
4: Europe, even South America, that working in the greater Asia area must be a little bit different. Oh, 100%. Uh, The regulatory environments completely differ. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different environment and urban settings that are, you know, in the United States, we have a lot of land. Um, The national airspace uh, for the FAA is heavily regulated because it's one of the most populous airspaces in the world. Um, In the the sense of UAVs and UAS applications, the Asia Pacific market has been way more flexible than America. So it'll be a great opportunity for us, a company that's been used to really stringent regulations and working with a government that has Stringent regulations on the data management side but on the actual operation side of a UAV or UAS, it's more flexible. So it's a kind of unique situation for us in doing business out here in the Asia-Pacific market.
1: Why don't you give the listener an overview of what AeroNight does?
4: Yeah, um, so AeroNight is an autonomous aerial systems company. Uh, we're based out in Melbourne, Florida, on the Space Coast. Uh, we specialize in custom autonomous UAV and UAS applications for various commercial industries. Um, our mission is to integrate... An efficient and clean technology into innovative drone platforms um, and our core focus areas right now for the market is in logistics and transportation uh, emergency response and law enforcement and medical aid and relief
1: that sounds really cool uh, we recently in California um, have been supporting call for code and there was a number of different groups involved including um, the first responders uh, and we just had the wildfires recently Yes, sir. So how would your UAV actually work in that setting?
4: Yeah, um, I'll kind of tie to the whole topic here in Shanghai, which is for artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, So one of the things we kind of speak to in the emergency response is AI-enabled drones can save life. Um, And today I I showed you guys an architecture of what we're building, utilizing machine learning tactics and deep linking tactics with the IBM Watson platform to help, not only make the the flight more efficient and safer, but also building visual recognition models that can get us real time situational awareness. That's really valuable and pertinent to the end, re, you know, first responders or emergency responders. So um, UAVs can get a lot of high value uh, aerial intelligence that is, you know, very valuable, and we could get it accurately and frequently, um, especially with our fleet management software, where we can do. X out the traditional sense of one pilot, one drone, and change it to one pilot, many drones. And that's really the idea and the concept that we can help the immersive responders with.
1: Yeah, I think that's really important. Uh, a lot of the use cases, because our call for code was specifically focused on wildfires. A lot of the teams that were submitting ideas, they don't have the, the depth that your company has already in the UAV space but many of the ideas were relying on the assumption that a UAV would be involved in terms of the surveys, in terms of um, even to the point where, and I think you're working on this as an actual use case, that a drone could um, also help extract um, a firefighter or a victim in the fire itself.
4: Yeah, um, with regulations aside, let's say in a perfect world, that's already been figured out. You know, there's aircraft that exist that can carry hundreds of humans. I mean, we have 747s out there. Um, the technology that, you know, we're working with and integrating, utilizing platforms like the IBM Watson for artificial intelligence, utilizing, you know, technologies like LiDAR and radar, and utilizing the high power GPUs that exist now, we're able to aggregate and take the heavy data sets that were impossible to process near real-time and actually do it much quicker. And um, I... You know, I really believe that in doing UAV applications and emergency response, there's just a multitude of different things we can do. There can even be a meshing network for communications. So when networks are down, I mean, at and did a use case like that after Hurricane Irma and down in Puerto Rico. Um, and so those are, those are use cases that, you know, you can use this platform for gaining that situational awareness that's extremely important on making life de- you know, decision-making and as well as creating a communication network. So
1: just to clarify, you actually use the network of drones to create a communication network?
4: Yeah, you can, you can put uh, you know, hotspots onto the UAVs and do a, uh, a network mesh.
1: Well, I think I heard a similar story where Google's experimenting with balloons.
4: <laughs> yeah, 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 they have hot air balloons. And you know, hot air balloons actually are really economical and they can stay up for a longer time. But for lower al- altitude applications, mm-hmm. especially in urban areas... UAVs will be will be a huge asset for any kind of disaster response.
1: That's great so beyond first responder, what are some other you brought up supply chain logistics?
4: yeah um, you know UAVs are primarily used for data collection so some of the things that we can collect is critical infrastructure. Uh, we can do damage or hazard assessment on highways um, it you know do an inspection so we can help with the procurement process. Uh, a really strong use case is helping with the detection, validation, assessment, response, recovery for incidents on a highway. DOT not only spends a lot of money, and public safety spends a lot of money on responding to that incident. You know, sending out the ambulances, sending out the fire departments, sending out the you know first responders. Uh, but they enter blind, so sometimes they're overprepared prepared, and sometimes they're underprepared. and most of the time they're hopeful to be over prepared because, you know, losing a life is huge. But another huge thing that these D.O.T.s face is loss of productivity, traffic jams. You know, there are some D.O.T.s that face six hour, you know, jams just because of an incident and being able to not only help respond to that incident with, you know, equipment or look for and assess, but also provide You know, real-time analytics for procurement processes, so they can order the correct procurements uh, for the road that was damaged. You know, those are things that we look that UAV can help with.
1: Yeah, no, I I think that's great. I happen to know um, in the Silicon Valley, uh, our local one of our local um, agencies that manage roads. I actually know the engineer that manages the software that calculates the erosion of the road. Oh. And they actually sell that to most other municipalities across the USA. So this could also be something that they could actually easily adopt into an yeah, existing software platform.
4: I mean, one of the extreme benefits is, that we see with UAVs is the ability to scale. You know, one of the things that we did in the past where we did uh, engineering of... Uh, in- inspection of a cell tower for an engineering firm that works with Crown Castle. And, you know, we envision a system that can, you know, do 10 towers a day rather than having one person do a tower a day. You know, we can have our system do 10 a day. And companies like Crown Castle have 40,000 cell towers that they have ar- across the board. And instead of doing it monthly, they could do it daily. And it'll cost them the same as if they were doing monthly. Sure. And one of the biggest things I was speaking to you earlier was a big, portion of their resources went to you know liability claims you know people falling off getting injured while doing these inspections so we're lowering those claims for their insurance policies
1: yeah I can see many um, applications for the insurance industry as well so given that not everyone knows about UAVs and people start hearing about what you're doing what are the like typical reactions that people have when you start really getting into this because you're really passionate about it
4: oh absolutely well for the general public you know two reactions are kinda of similar, A military purposes, weaponization, or B government spying and, you know, privacy issues. So we look for applications that are For the general public you know safety application emergency response because we really see the power of this technology that it can do for helping save a life Mm -hmm. especially in rural areas um and the scalability of it and for procurement and productivity purposes so we see we're looking for use cases that are specific for helping um we believe in transparency of the data as well and you know we are, like, against weaponization of our system. So there, there are, there's a market for that in the military world, and there's a supplier for that, for that demand. We're, that's not something we want to get into. You know, our name is derived, you know, from enjoying the air. Aero b- meaning air, and, you know, in Danish meaning enjoy. So we really have a humanistic approach to building our architecture.
1: Well, thanks for the explanation of the NIDE. When I when I first saw the name written, I was thinking DINE. Yeah,
4: we really um, get that a lot.
1: <laughs> so, um, Edgar, with the last few seconds to summarize, I think that it's a great confluence of events right now with um, technology yep. and emerging technology. You, you're, you have a UAV. Um, I talked about AT&T coming out with uh, 5G as well as Verizon that will certainly help I yep. um, connect a lot more devices, and then you have all this interest. I just wish all the best to you and your team. Awesome,
4: I appreciate that. Thank you, Keith. I appreciate you for allowing me on the show, and I look forward to further conversations. Oh,
1: great having you. Definitely would love to have you back. So you've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Ku, joined by the CEO of AeroNide, Edgar Munoz, and we're reporting to you from Shanghai, China. Any questions or comments on today's show or about AeroNide or about Shanghai, Give us an email at info at svin.biz, and we'll be right back.
0: For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo.
1: Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Today's show is a little different format because I was giving a report out on my recent trip to Shanghai, China, where I was an invited guest with the U.S. Minority Business Agency, as well as uh, several local governments in and outside of Shanghai uh, regional that asked me to present on blockchain and emerging technologies. So earlier in the show, we had several guests, Wendy Yang of Zion Investment Company, um, Edgar Munoz, CEO of AeroNide, and Deborah Majid of IBM. And I think the story to really wrap this up is that despite the news about trade wars between U.S. and China, as well as uh, tariffs, there's still a lot of desire for economic activity uh, for the people in those countries, whether you're an investor, whether you're a factory owner, or whether you're a local government. And if you have any questions or comments about how to set up a business Um, from China to the U.S. or U.S. to China, give us an email at info at svn.biz. We'll be doing a lot more shows on foreign investment, cross-border business, because I think that's just something that is really important in light of um, the news today. And speaking of news, uh, there's, there's been a lot of activity going on. Facebook has gotten a lot of press again because of the reported 50 million user account breach and potentially an additional 40 million to be 90 million. And it is significant because it kind of wraps up a lot of things we talk about on our show. Um, Facebook uses what's called APIs, ways to connect Facebook with their platform and all these other services. A hacker, and this is considered a sophisticated attack, was able to exploit three related vulnerabilities to, in essence, um, allow a hacker to gain access to not only your profile, but a profile of somebody you're viewing as they're pretending to be you. And although Facebook has reported that they don't know of any known data theft or breaches yet, they did take the precaution to reset all those accounts. Um They also had to submit a GDPR notification, so General Data Protection Regulation of the European Union, under that new regulation that was enacted earlier this year in May. They had a self-report that potentially all these European-related accounts were in this 90 million batch of affected users. And we bring this up time and time again that we're becoming more and more complex uh, with systems, with social media. And governments all around, including the state of California, are becoming very, very astute in how they ask companies who have these breaches for a response for what their plan is and then what they're going to do about it and why did it happen to begin with. So if you're a much smaller company, which is pretty much everybody, you need to take this seriously because there are fines and there are repercussions. And if you have questions about that, you can always email us at info at svn.biz. Speaking of fines and repercussions, it was just announced that Uber reached a $148 million breach settlement with all 50 states. And that, if you recall, is because they had a massive data breach a year ago in regards to exposing customers and drivers, even drivers' driver's licenses. And this is one of the few times that independent assessors think that the $148 million dollar settlement is actually a quote unquote fair payment for the amount of um, data that was leaked. And so wrapping that up to the Facebook story we just had, uh, more and more times companies are now having to pay up for their, you know, in essence, sloppiness with their data handling procedures. Tencent, which is sort of like the telecom provider and the Facebook and the Yahoo of China, just announced that they filed a U.S. initial public offering of $800 million. And that is for their music streaming service. Now, you might think of this as the Chinese version of Spotify. I think what's interesting is that with this deal, Spotify owns a certain percentage of Tencent and Tencent owns a certain percentage of Spotify. And this really wraps up nicely with today's theme of the show that despite tariffs... And trade wars, uh, China and the U.S. companies are definitely trying to partner effectively. San Diego's in the news and not in a good way. The port of San Diego was hacked and it was a ransomware hack. Um, their backend systems are completely compromised and inoperable. But the good news is that it did not affect the actual port operations, which would be a worst case scenario where the ransomware that affects the Port of San Diego completely shuts down um, all shipping activity. So thanks again for listening to Silicon Valley Insider. This week's show is slightly different because of my economic visit to China, the Shanghai region. And I just really wanted to impress upon the theme of the show, which is in spite of all the news, the U.S. and China, there are definitely businesses wanting to work together. And if you have any questions on how to do that effectively, email us at info at svn.biz. And we'll see you next week.
0: You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Ku. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN.